0: Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. We're wrapping up a series called Gains. And the reason why we're talking about Gains is I believe it's the word that God has given me for our church in this year. I just believe that, that 2020 was a heck of a year. And that some things were taken away from us by the enemy that God wants to restore and that God wants to bring back. That we're going to gain new ground this year. I'm believing it for your family. I'm believing it for marriages in this house. I'm believing it for you as an individual. I just think that this is going to be a year of gains. How many of you are with me? You believe that this year, I think as we enter into our time of worship and in the Word with an expectation as well, that God wants to create some gains in our life to maybe stretch us, to challenge us, to grow us, that that's really the posture that we need to come in uh, to this word with this morning. Because how many of you know making gains is hard? It's hard, isn't it? It's not easy. In fact, I'll I'll say this. I think there's a price that you have to pay to make some gains. But how many of you know that, that it's in that price, it's in that difficult time and making that, that gain that makes the moment that you achieve the thing that much sweeter, that much greater. It's kind of like uh, you know, the moment that you hit the, the budget number that you want in your savings account. That that moment's great and you're excited, but what made it even greater was all the times that, that you wanted to spend that you didn't spend. Are you with me? All the times that, that you, you chose what you wanted most for what you wanted right in the moment that made that gain so much greater. The the same is true in in different areas of our our lives. When you hit that that number on the scale, come on, right, that you wanted to hit. And that was great. But what made it even sweeter were all the times that you battled temptation and you you, you took a stand and you got stronger and you worked out and you, you stuck to the diet. It made those moments even greater, When you got those gains, it's that fight in you that adds to the greatness of those those gains of the joy and the success of them. But I want to warn you today that as we pursue gains in our life, and if we really want this to be the greatest year that we've ever had in in getting gains, that you're going to face some obstacles. You're going to face some challenges along the way. You're going to face some, some situations because, in fact, some of you, you're facing doubt, Because as soon as I say, this is going to be the greatest year of your life, in your mind, you're already making a mental list of all the reasons is not going to be the greatest year of your life. Are you with me? You're making all these excuses, or you have this this list of stuff, and that list is going to become an obstacle to you to getting the gains that God wants for your your life. Or for some of you, maybe the, the, the thing that's keeping you from getting gains is just the season that you're in. You're saying it's this season, there's no way, Colby. I just don't see it. Like it's difficult on my family right now with the school and kids and career and sicknesses. This is just not going to be a season of gains. Or maybe, maybe it's history. That that the history that you've had is is, is a blocker to you getting the gains that you want. How many of you know that history can be a great teacher? Experience and history is a a great teacher on one hand, but on the other hand, it's not so good because sometimes history is a liar. And just because things used to be one way doesn't mean they have to be that way over and over again. Are you with me? Like it can be different. It doesn't have to be the same. I'm just saying some of us, we have these things that will block us from getting the gains that we want in our life. But I propose that the greatest obstacle that stands in your way of getting the gains that you want and what God wants for you is, are you ready for it? It's you. It's you. You could be the greatest obstacle to experiencing great gains because how many of you know we are great at self-sabotage, are we not? And we are so good at creating these obstacles. Let me, let me give you an example. Maybe it was a fitness goal that you wanted to hit. And then one day you walk into the house and on the counter is a fresh batch of brownies. And you smell them, just out of the oven, just, just, I'm not saying this happened in our house this week, two days ago it did. I made the brownies, by the way, I made them. And they were just, just out of the oven and how many, they were like, they were crispy around the edges but not quite cooked in the middle. Come on, that's when brownies are good, right? When they're hard around the edges, but it's still a little soft in the middle. I'm preaching right now. And it's, they're just when they're good. And then you go up and you, and you take one, you know, because you want to practice some self-control. However, you know you're coming back for the other half of that pan. Stop kidding yourself. Right? Because we self-sabotage the gains that we want to make in our, our life. Maybe it was a financial goal. And you'd say, man, we're only a month into it, into this new year, and I've already spent more than I've made. And I've already fudged in, in an account. You know, I've spent more than, than I wanted to. I just had to have the, the new phone or the, the new thing so many times. We sabotage ourselves and we think this, why even try? And I'm just powerless to change. I can't do it. Like, I, I don't what is the use. I, I wanted to be a better husband this year. And I failed. I wanted to respond with with love, but instead I responded with my my old nature, if you were here last week, instead of my new nature. I wanted to be better at you fill in the blank. But it's only a month in, Colby, and I feel like I've already sabotaged the gains that were being made in my, my life. And what happens when we allow those things in and we feel powerless to change we feel like those things become the dictators of our, our destiny, and we hate, we hate the weaknesses that we have. We hate the reason why we can't, we can't change the things that we want to and, and become, uh, you know, that, that becomes the, the rails on which our, our life kind of rides. We just feel like I'm powerless against it. But I need to remind you that if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are not powerless to those changes that you want to see in your your life. And it might be who you were, but it doesn't have to be who you are. It might be your your current reality, but it doesn't certainly have to follow you into the rest of this year. So you don't have to respond with, this is just the way I am or this is just who I am. No, you can be transformed by the power of Jesus. You are a new creation. And I'm just believing this is the year you're going to walk it out in Jesus' name. This is the year you're going to rise up and you're going to get the gains. And again, this is not just, you know, some motivating kind of talk. This is what God's word tells us, that we will have trouble. We will have obstacles, but he's given us a way to overcome those obstacles, those barriers. And today I want to talk about three ways we self-sabotage. Three obstacles to to making gains in our life. And then I'm going to tell you how we remove those obstacles as well. So this is going to require a lot of note-taking. So go ahead. If you're a note-taker, get out your pen. Get out your your, your phone, whatever you take notes on. If you're not a note-taker, get out your pen, whatever you take notes on. And start today. All right? This is a good day to start. Uh, The first one we see, the first obstacle, is found in John 5. Are you with me? Here we go. John 5, uh, verse 1. This is what... The Bible says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now they're in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, talking about all the people that would come to this pool because they believed that when the waters were stirred, it had some healing properties with it. And so they'd make their way into the pool. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned, don't miss that. He learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. How did Jesus learn that? He engaged him. I just thought about this reading it again this morning, that, that Jesus was not afraid to walk up to people, right, in whatever circumstance or situation they were in. And that's just a word for someone. Hey, don't be afraid to engage people where they are. And learn about them. Learn what, what they're facing. Learn what their, their struggles are. Learn what their, their hurt is. Learn what they are, are up against. That's what Jesus did. He learned He learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked this question, do you want to get Well, that's a fascinating question. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. No one's here to help me when the water stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else cuts in line, gets ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And then once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And all this happened, uh, the day that this happened was on a Sabbath day. The first obstacle that you and I will face to, to getting gains that we have to overcome in our life is write it down, self-pity. We can self-sabotage with self-pity. In fact, the, the definition of self-pity is this. It's excessive, self-absorbed unhappiness over one's trouble. Now, I want you to hang on with me because some of you are thinking right now, Kobe, I don't deal with this. I'm not really challenged all that much by, by self-pity, but I want you to think of it through that definition, that it's being excessively absorbed with our current situation. And many times it's a a negative situation. What happens is when when something negative happens, we get excessively absorbed with it. And so that thing becomes the only thing that we think about, the only thing we see, the only thing that we, we focus on, and the more we focus on it, the more absorbed we get with it. And the more we focus on it, the more absorbed we get with it, and it becomes this downward spiral of self-pity that we all can fall into, becoming all we talk about, uh, the only topic of of every conversation and interaction that we have with other people. Now, I want to quickly take a time out and say, I'm not downplaying the, the troubles that you are in. This man was sick for 38 years. Jesus did not downplay his situation. I'm not downplaying the reality of the the pain that that you might have in your life. What I'm saying, though, is when we become excessively absorbed with what we're walking through, then we become even more absorbed with it, and it's easily for it to be the only thing we see, the only thing we talk about, and the only thing that we we focus on so that in the middle of that moment, Jesus comes up to this man, and what could seem as a, a a a question that's not very compassionate or one that is at the very least naive. Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? Say, really? 38 years he's been sick. Who knows how long he's been at this pool trying to get in when the water has stirred. Do you want to get well, Jesus? Really? But I think Jesus asked this question because he's trying to get at something underneath the surface. you know that Jesus knows the hearts and the minds of men and women? And so he knows what's going on. And so he's not asking in the sense of, hey, do you just want to get well? I think he's asking this question by saying, are you comfortable in your dysfunction? Are you so comfortable in your dysfunction that you don't want to get out of your dysfunction, even though it's causing you, you pain?" Because when it comes to some of the obstacles in our life, the way we self-sabotage our life through self-pity, I believe he's asking us the same question. Are you just so comfortable in your dysfunction that you don't want to get out of it? Have you become such friends with your your dysfunction? You know, we can almost become friends with our our dysfunction. There's like this love-hate relationship that we have with dysfunction, is there not? Like we hate it because of what it's doing to us the way it makes us feel, but we love it in the sense that it, it, it feels comfortable. It's like we don't know anything else. And because it's the only thing that we know, it's the only way we know how to live. I only know how to live manipulating you. I only know how to live complaining. I only know how to live being negative all the time. Even though Jesus offers me a way out and freedom from my dysfunction, I, I don't even know what step to take. Because I'm afraid of living in a different way that I know how to live because my dysfunction, even though it's painful, is is comfortable for me. And so I think Jesus asks us the same question when it comes to the obstacle of self-pity. Are you so comfortable with your dysfunction? And then he says, He says, Really? Like, are you just, are you really? Do you want to get well? Really? I think it's a fair question. Which is why some of us we never get into healthy relationships. Like you hear about it. You like to come to church on the weekend. We talk about groups. We talk about crash course. And you think, you know, I'll never take that next step because we're afraid that a healthy relationship might call us to a higher place. Might call us to to elevate the way that we are, are living, calls to a greater place. And that possibility of discomfort keeps us in our dysfunction. Are you with me? So instead, we stay in relationships around us that encourage that dysfunction that enable the dysfunction in our life because we'd rather have people enable us than really care for us. There's a big difference, by the way, between enabling and caring. There's some people, if we're being honest, you don't want to change. You like complaining about everything. You like being negative all the time, criticizing anyone and everyone, so you don't put yourself around people that will challenge that garbage in your life, that will challenge that, that frame of mind. Instead, you put yourself around people that Enable it. And again, there's a big difference between enabling and caring. Caring for you is saying, I see so much greater potential in you than the life that you're living right now. I see so much more in you than this, than this self-pity kind of mindset that you're in. Caring for you says, hey, hey, stop treating your husband like trash. And honor him like the man of God that he should be and that God wants him to be. If you would start honoring him, and the pushback is, well, he's not honorable. Well, if you would just honor him now, the way that you know God wants him to be, then watch him rise to that level of expectation that you have for him. And at the very least, know that he's a child of God and that God's grace covers his life. So knock it off. That's caring for people, by the way. Caring for people saying, hey, stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Stop trying to get the benefits of marriage without the commitment of marriage. Oh, it's quiet today. <laughs> Woo! I didn't know this was gonna be a spacemaker message. You know what a spacemaker is? There's gonna be more space next week. <laughs> there is a big difference between caring and enabling. Can I tell you something? Caring is not always comfortable does not always feel good to care, but we need to, to care. And it, we self-sabotage with self-pity. And so we only put ourselves around people that are comfortable with this, their dysfunction. Hey, you're comfortable with your dysfunction, so it makes me comfortable with my dysfunction. We can just kind of team up and be dysfunctional together. So how do we get out of that? How do we overcome self-pity in our life? And, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to point the finger, but we're all in this. At some level. You realize that, right? Like, we all have those moments where those Eeyore moments where we're like, woe is me. Life's just terrible. Why do I have to? Like, I'm not, I think we all experience this at different levels. So how do we overcome it? It's found in one word. Write it down. Appreciation. You could say gratitude. Appreciation. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes people will ask Colby, I don't know what God's will for my life is. I don't know what God's will for my life is. Can I tell you? I know at least one thing, and that's appreciation, is to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, this doesn't say that we give thanks for all circumstances, because maybe you've heard that preached before. And that's incorrect uh, kind of version of the text because some people have said, hey, you know, well, if you're walking through hell, then you need to give thanks for God for going through that hell. That's not what this text is saying. This text is saying give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. His will is not that you give thanks for it, it is that you give, give thanks in all circumstances. Not that you would thank God for walking through hell, but that you would find his light in the middle of that darkness. Are you with me? Like we give thanks for, for, in all circumstances, not for. So Paul's saying that when you're faced with these horrible situations, fight the pool of self-pity with appreciation. Fight the, the, the downward spiral, spiral of self-pity with giving thanks to God. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I have you don't know what I'm going through. Like I have no reason to be thankful. Can we start with the fact that there's breath in your lungs and there's blood pumping through your heart, that you're alive, that you're at least here? I don't know what condition you're here in, but can you just start there? God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for a new life. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning. God, thank you that you give me wisdom. God, thank you for the confidence that I have in Jesus. We, we start there. That's called, by the way, giving a thank offering to God. In fact, in Psalm 50, look at it. This is what it says. Um, and when you start doing this, by the way, it'll start fighting against that pool of self-pity. It says, the sacrifice that honors me is a what? Is a thankful heart. So when you just say, God, thank you. Just thank you. And you should make that a practice of your life. Just thank you, God. Thank you, God. A thank offering, the sacrifice that honors me is a thankful heart. And then he says, "Obey me, and I, your God, will show you my power to save." I don't don't miss this. He's saying that when we do something, that that's something that we do in return. It enables God. It allows God to do something back. Now I know some people are like, "Well, there's nothing that our God." can't do. In fact, there's a song, Colby, that says, there's nothing that our God can't do. And I love the song. It's a great song. I'm not against the song. And this is merely semantics, what I'm talking about right now. But there are some things that God can't do. God cannot act against his nature. And God cannot act in contradiction to what he's written in his word. He will never do anything that's in contradiction to his word. So when he says, if you come to me, with a thankful heart, and we honor him in that way, and we obey him in that obedience and giving thanks, then that paves the way for God to do something, and it says to show his power of uh, of salvation in our lives. When we're thanking God, when we're obedient, it shows his power to save. So he's saying whenever you're in the middle of a situation that's a great challenge to you, if you'll just give thanks, then God will show up in power in your life. If you'll give him thanks, a thankful heart, You'll show appreciation. It prepares the way, it like, it, it prepares a pathway for God's salvation in your life. And that's such a good promise. So the next time you're facing a situation where you feel discouraged, or you feel um, maybe someone's been disloyal, you feel like going down the woe is me kind of trail, you feel like, you know, having self-pity in your, your life, if you will just hold your head up high, if you will just, you know, square your shoulders you know, hold your chest out, and if you'll just give God thanks, thank you, God, that I'm alive. Thank you that you never leave me or forsake me. Thank you that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Thank you that you have a plan and purpose for my life. Thank you, God, that you hear me when I call. Thank you, God, if you'll just thank him. Then it says that's like a uh, according to Psalm 5023, you're, you're getting a runway ready for the salvation of God to land in your life. How good is that? According to this, when you give God thanks, it's like you're turning on the, the lights to the runway in the 747 of the Lord. Actually, don't encourage that behavior. Is gonna land in your life. And if we would just give God thanks, give God thanks, and you fight self-pity with appreciation. Well, Colby, that's hard. Getting gains isn't easy. It's hard. It takes, it takes work, but I'm, I'm really going through it right now. You don't even know. This guy was sick for 38 years. And not once did Jesus downplay his sickness or his pain, what he was going through. He simply wanted to get to the core of the issue, and he said, do you really want to get well? Do you really want this? And look at it. The man gave him an excuse, did he not? Well, every time. I can't get down there. I heard a preacher once say that if he really wanted to get healed that bad, he would have at least scooched to the edge. Hey, some of you, you are desperate for God to move in your life. And it could be he's just waiting for you to scooch. Maybe you need to scooch a little. In fact, you know what scooching might look like for you? Giving thanks, giving appreciation to all that God has done in your life. Here's the next one. You ready? Number two. 1 Samuel 18, we find two guys, and we're going to be jumping around a little bit, so kind of stick with me. We find two guys, Saul, who is the current king of the nation of Israel, and David, who is going to be king one day of the nation of Israel. Right now, David's just a warrior. In fact, he is a harp player and a warrior. That's dope, right? I mean, that's cool. You don't see that very often. But this is what happens in 1 Samuel 18:6. It says this, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, who he's talking about is Goliath, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. They started singing, "Saul has killed thousands." Who's the current King Saul? And David Tens of thousands. So David, he's getting a little more props than Saul is. This made Saul, verse 8, very angry. What's this he said? God is giving us a little bit of, of insight into his internal dialogue. How many of you know that you have an internal dialogue? You start talking to yourself. And you can start talking some crazy things to yourself. Look what Saul said. What's this he said? They credit David with ten thousands. And me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Verse 9. So from that time on, Saul kept a what? He kept a jealous eye on David. Here's the second obstacle, jealousy. Write that down. We self-sabotage with jealousy. And again, jealousy is one of those emotions. You're like, I'm not a very jealous person. We all all deal with jealousy on some level. And the reason we feel jealous could be any number of reasons that happen in our life. It could be, you know, the loss of something. It could be uh, our own pride. It could be that we see people advancing faster than we are advancing, and we feel like that we should be the ones that are advancing, but we all wrestle with, on some level, jealousy. And here's what jealousy seeks to do. Jealousy seeks to rob you of the joy Of authentic relationships. That's what it does. The enemy of our soul knows Satan, the enemy of our soul. He knows that God created you for relationships. And he knows that in relationship is the best context for you to grow, for you to mature, for you to be held accountable, for you to strengthen one another and encourage one another. So if the enemy can drive a wedge between you and those around you and cause you to be jealous, then you will not experience authentic relationships. That's what he's after. And I'm not talking about fake ones. I'm not talking about the veneer of relationships, right, where you kind of keep it surface level. I'm talking about the authentic relationships that that you can get real and raw with someone and say, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm facing. That's how we're that's how we're healed. That's how we grow. The Bible says that we go to, to God for, for salvation, but we go to each other for healing. As we confess our sins to, to one another, that we'll be healed. So he knows that if he can keep that from happening, then we'll stay stuck. We'll stay stagnant in our life. And so whenever we, like Saul, look at at, at things through the lens of jealousy, take a look at this. We take ridiculous, illogical, intellectual leaps. Because what does Saul say? He said, Saul, here's the song, Saul has killed thousands. And again, these are just some random ladies showing up from other towns. They're probably of no consequence. They probably don't have any kind of authority, no kind of power whatsoever. And they just kind of make up this random song. Saul has killed thousands. And David, 10,000s. We don't even know if it was a good song. We don't know if it was a chart topper. I don't know if it was on the Rick D's weekly top 40. Are you with me? Saul has killed thousands. David, tens of thousands. Then watch the leap Saul takes in his mind. Next thing he says, next they'll make him king. Really? Really? David killed ten thousands. Next, he's going to be king? Jealousy will cause you to take uh, illogical intellectual leaps. And you know this to be True. Because you saw it on Facebook and you said, hey, hey, I saw on Facebook that your family went out without family last night. I guess, I guess we're not going to be friends anymore. <laughs> really? Um, am I telling the truth right now? Hey, I saw that, that, you know, you guys moved to a new neighborhood. I guess you're too good for us. <laughs> Jealousy will cause you to take some illogical leaps in your thinking. You, uh, I, your friend made the varsity team. As a, as a freshman or a sophomore, and you didn't, and so you're thinking, you know, it starts to drive a wedge in between you and their relationship, or they asked him out, you know, or they asked, he asked her out, and they didn't ask, ask me out, now I'm jealous, or they got a new car, well, must be nice, you know, look at them, or they got the promotion, and I didn't get the promotion. Jealousy drives a wedge in, and it robs you. Colby, how does it rob you? Whenever you look at life through the, the lens of, of jealousy, you can't see people for who they are because you're constantly comparing yourself to them. And comparison, right, kills the contentment and joy in your life. And so it just drives this wedge. Must be nice that you got the promotion. Must be, must be nice. You're constantly sizing them up. And here's, by the way, what you don't know is happening on the other side of that, that equation, that everybody that you think is a, an authentic friend in your life they are constantly calculating what they will and won't say to you or what they will and won't show you because they know your level of jealousy and they're not sure that you can handle it. So they're not even being real with you. They're just saying things to, you know, just keep that that false sense of an authentic relationship so it robs you of that. So how do we overcome it? Here's how. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, the Bible says this, so that there should be no Division in the body. There should be no wedge driven. There should be no jealousy. Jealousy seeks to divide, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, we all suffer with it. If one part is honored, though, every part rejoices with it. Every part celebrates. How do we combat jealousy? Write it down. One word, celebration. And I celebrate the goodness of God in the people's lives around me. That's how I overcome the obstacle of jealousy. So when they make the varsity squad, instead of me saying, you made the varsity team, and I'm just on JV, you big jerk. I say, man, congratulations, you worked so hard for that. Man, you, were the, you were the best player for it, man, way to go. I'm so, so proud of you when they get the promotion and you didn't right? It, it may sting a little bit. It may not, might not be fair in your eyes, but come on, how many of you parents said, hey, you know, fair is a place you go to ride rides. You know, fair is not a real thing. That's what we tell our kids. It might not be fair in your eyes, but it really doesn't matter at this point because they have the promotion and you don't, and you can choose in that moment, I'm going to be jealous and allow that to rob the joy of having an authentic relationship with that person and be the obstacle that keeps me from getting the gains in my life, or I can decide I'm going to celebrate with you. Man, I want to be a celebrator. Congratulations. Way to get that promotion. Man, I'm so excited for you. Or you can decide I'm going to be jealous. I saw on Facebook you went to Disney again. Must be nice. You know, I've decided whenever somebody, you know, ends a sentence with to me with like, must be nice, in a passive-aggressive kind of way, I'm just going to respond by saying, it wasn't nice. It was awesome. <laughs> Are you with me? Like when they say, you know, oh, you got a, got a new car, must be nice. No, it's amazing. I <laughs> see so you're going to Cancun with the family, must be nice. No, Prescott is nice. Cancun is amazing, right? <laughs> That's how I'm gonna s- to respond from now on. But jealousy, jealousy. And here's the deal this might not be the, the best spiritual advice I've ever given you. Um but sometimes you gotta fake it till you make it. And it really is not bad spiritual advice because choices lead, feelings follow. And you have to choose. Am I in this moment gonna gonna get robbed of an authentic relationship with someone through jealousy? Or am I gonna be someone who celebrates? Because what did it say? When one part is honored, every part rejoices together. And can I tell you, you can't truly rejoice over the goodness of God in someone else's life and be jealous about it at the same time. It is an impossibility. Celebration, celebration is the weapon that we have that kills jealousy in our life and enables us to overcome that obstacle. Let me give you one more, one more, maybe maybe two more. You guys good? Yeah. I don't know why I asked because I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Judges chapter 6. Come on, flip over, we see a guy named Gideon, and he's hiding. And the reason why he's hiding is because there's a group of Midianites that are attacking uh, the nation of Israel, and so he's terrified, he's afraid. And let's pick this up in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. The Lord appears to him, uh, and the angel says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, which is funny that he calls him a mighty warrior because he's hiding right now. He's threshing wheat in a place that doesn't have any wind because he's afraid that he'll be seen and caught. And so uh, that moment, you know, he's not acting like a mighty warrior. He's acting more like a pansy. But the angel says, mighty warrior, God is with you. Mighty warrior, because that's how he sees you. How many of you are grateful that God doesn't just see you as you are right now, but he sees you as he created you? Like did you, are you grateful for that? That God doesn't see all the mistakes, all the mess-ups, all the ways we get it wrong, but God sees the, the potential inside of us. He doesn't just call us based on our current behavior. He sees what he put inside of you. He knits you together. He formed you in his womb. and that's great news right there. It says this, but Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders our ancestors told us about when they said, didn't the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and, I've, and given us to the hand of Midian. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. I love that. For some of you, you have more strength inside of you than you know. God's given you strength. I know things are challenging. I know things are tough right now. But you have more strength in Christ than you know. Um, And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites. The implication is together. Like, I'm going to be with you, and together we're going to take care of the Midianites. But here's what Gideon said. He said, I'm the weakest of the weak. He said, I'm the runt of the, the runts of the entire nation but here's what he really was saying underneath all that i can't do what you're calling me to do in other words he's saying i don't feel like i am enough third obstacle that we all face insecurity insecurity says i'm not enough fill in the blank i'm not good enough i'm not smart enough i'm not skinny enough i'm not i'm not You know, I'm not enough. I'm not a good enough parent. You fill in the blank. You said, I'm not enough, blank. And what happens is we have this recording on replay in our mind that says, I'm not enough. I'm I'm not enough over and over and over. And those voices that tell us we're not enough come from all different places, by the way, giving us insecurity. Maybe it's come from a parent in your past. Someone who constantly told you you were not enough that you could never live up to their expectation. Maybe it was your own experience and your own failure that is on repeat in your life, constantly reminding you that you're you're not enough. It could be the voice of experience, but it's insecurity. And if insecurity is the loudest voice in your your mind, then it's gonna stand in the way of you experiencing all that God has for you. So how do we overcome it? Write the word down, saturation. You know what it means to saturate something, to soak it, immerse it where nothing else can get in it. By the way, it's just completely saturated. I submit that we overcome insecurity when we saturate our mind with God's voice and with his thinking about who we are. And we do that through his His word. We started out this series in a book, Romans 12, chapter of a book. And so I think it's fitting that we, we end it with it. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we quiet the voices of insecurity, the voices of doubt, and the voices that say that we are not enough? We do it by transforming our mind. How do we transform this right here? It, it, we do it through the renewing of it. How do we renew it? By understanding what God's word has to say by constantly filling our our heart and our mind, soaking it, saturating it with the identity that we have according to God's word. It says, don't be conformed any longer to the, the patterns. Some of you have gotten into a bad pattern. That anytime something is said, your mind immediately shifts to all the reasons that you're not good enough. In fact, neuroscience Scientists say that, that we have these neural pathways in our mind. They're almost like roads in our mind, that as soon as something is said or mentioned, it's an automatic response. We go down that road. Somebody says to you, Hey, you look nice today. Immediately you're thinking, They think I look fat. That's what it does. That we have this automatic response in our mind. And so we have to renew this pattern that we have by being transformed. Somebody say, Transformed. We said week one, transformed. Is, is the word morph or metamorphosis. It's the same thing that happens when a, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, right, and comes out a butterfly. And my prayer for you in this series is that through God's word and through washing and soaking of God's word over your, your life, that you would leave here different than you came. You'd be transformed. You would not have this insecurity that's, that's hovering over your life, but you'd be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so whenever you look in the mirror and you say, "I'm not enough," you're transformed. You're saying, "No, no, no! I'm more than enough. Like I, I know who I am in Christ. I've given a uh, been given a confidence in Christ. I, I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that all my days were planned for me in advance. I was knit together in my mother's womb. I am more than enough. No, I'm not. I'm not loved enough. No, no. For God so loved me." That he did everything that he could to to have a relationship with me. I'm not not enough. No, no, no. God's word says I'm an overcomer by the blood of the lamb. That I am enough. That I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Are you with me? That's how we wash our mind. How we soak and saturate our minds with God's word. Little by little. Step by step. Tiny tweaks. After tiny tweak. Little by little. Allowing the voice of God to be louder. Louder than our own insecurity in our life. We're not powerless to this. But what happens is we end up doing self-sabotage in our life, but we have appreciation to fight against self-pity. We have celebration to overcome jealousy in our life. We have saturation with God's word to hear the right voice in our life battling our insecurities. And I'm going to give you one more. One more and write this word down and then I want you to close your notebooks, close your Bible. It's the word grace. You have a greater strength than you even know. Did you know that? You have grace. Yeah. Because what happens is you will fail. You will get attacked with doubt and insecurity You'll have self-pity. But when we fail, we have an even greater strength to cover all of that. It's the grace of God. Look what um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul's talking about the weakness that he had in areas of his life and how he repeatedly couldn't get over these obstacles, that he felt powerless in those. And this is what the Lord said to him. And I think it's what God is reminding us as we as we continue to This is not the the end of of something. This really is the beginning. I believe seeking gains is is a process throughout this entire year that we need to run after. And the Lord said to him this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. See, I believe there are those in this room and those watching online that you need a lot of it today. Maybe something happened this week you just need God's grace to once again give you a a fresh start. Maybe there are some of you, you only need a little bit, but it says it's sufficient for you too. Like whatever you come to him with today, his grace is sufficient for you. If you face a situation where you're like, I've blown it and I might as well quit, I might as well throw in the towel, God says, stop thinking like that. Like my grace is enough for you. Don't throw in the towel. He goes on to say, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I need to remind you that your weakness is a prerequisite for God's power to be displayed in your life. Your weakness is the greatest platform for God to come in with his grace, with his mercy, with his strength, and once again strengthen you for the purpose and the task that he's given you and for the life that you have in him he says my my strength is perfected in your your weakness therefore Paul says I boast all the more gladly about all the ways I get it wrong so that Christ's power may rest on me here's what I want to say sometimes throughout our life we sabotage ourselves we'll do it again over and over with things like self-pity and jealousy and security The list could go on and on and on. Doubts, we make these lists in our mind of all the reasons we're not enough. And some days we win, and some days we learn. Because you don't lose. Failure is not fatal. Failure is not fatal. Some days you win, you're able to stand up against insecurity, strengthen your, your back, hold your shoulders up, hold your head up, And thank God for it. And other days you fall short. But either way, God's grace is sufficient for you. Covers you. Come on, that's good news today. Would you stand to your feet? Come on, everybody stand up across this room. God, we just pray right now that you would, through your word, God, meet us here in this moment and give us that grace that cannot be calculated. This this unmerited, undeserved grace that we know we are our failures, God, but it's your grace, God, that is given to us freely that covers our mistakes, that covers our sin. It's a free gift, and we can't do anything to earn it. We can't work hard enough. We can't come to church enough. We can't go to enough small groups. We cannot sing enough. It is a free gift that we desperately need God when we fail we need your grace and when we succeed God we know it's only by your grace and so God we just once again say thank you for the grace that you've given us that covers our mistakes our failures and I'm praying right now for those in this room and online that you never received the free gift of grace offered through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The Bible says you can't work hard enough for it. You can't earn it. It is a free gift that that covers our sin in our life. Maybe that's why you're here today or you're watching online to receive that free gift of grace. We can do that through prayer. Let me lead you in a prayer right now. Wherever you are, you can say this in your heart. You can say it out loud. In fact, in this church today, let's help those out. Let's give them confidence as they surrender and accept that free gift. So let's just repeat this together. Just repeat after me. Jesus, today. Come on, Jesus, today. I thank you for your grace. I need your grace. Forgive me for all the ways that I fall short. Thank you for your sacrifice. I confess you as Lord and as Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, celebrate with those today. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations, welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, Go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.